please join me in the prayer for illumination. Spirit of life, God of love, open our hearts and enter in, that hearing the word of love, we may become your love for others. Amen. The scripture is from Colossians 3, 8 through 15. That's Colossians, not Colossians. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all, but Christ is all in all. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in, one, in the one body. And be thankful. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right, so we're in the last week of our uh, sermon series uh, theming around uh, qualities of quality relationships. We've talked about faithful relationships, we've talked about communication, we've talked about habits, intimacy, and today we talk about forgiveness. Um, I, you know, the studies show uh, that the, um, the relationships that are successful are of one kind. Did, I don't know if you knew this. Um, that, that marriages um, that have a crucial quality are 70% likely to be successful. Now, do you think it's the marriages that are birds of a feather flock together? Or do you think it's the marriages that are opposites attract? Well, it's neither. Actually, both are as successful as the others. The quality that makes the difference is um, that you don't try to fix the problems in your partner, but instead you find ways to live together. You see, trying to square, boy, I saw like three or four um, spouses all at once do this. I was like, that was timing. It was really good. Uh, we'll have an extra special forgiveness class for y'all afterwards. Um, so, I mean, after a while, you know, kind of cramming your spouse into that particular mold that you think they should be in really isn't the fix. Most uh, problems or conflicts, most disagreements between couples are lifelong. Um, I think in the medical community, you call that chronic, right? Uh, but we treat them as if they are acute. And so we try really hard to fix them. And no one likes to be fixed in that way. So talking about forgiveness is this idea that we kind of live and let live, not so that we are walked over like a doormat, but that's so that we can begin taking those next steps in our faith journey with Christ. Uh, there was a young man who was appointed as the bank president in the small town that he lived in. 
And being so young, uh, the youngest bank president ever in this small town, felt like he really needed to do a, a good job. And so he called up his predecessor, the, 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 the gray-haired older bank president who was happy to retire, uh, found him via cell phone already out on the lake fishing. You can see uh, where that went. Uh, and asked the guy, will you come in so I can ask you some questions about success? And the older bank president said, certainly. And so the uh, younger bank president said, sir, what has been the secret of your success? And the older man said, it's easy. The secret is two words, right decisions. The younger bank president said, but, but how do you make right decisions? The older bank president said, one word, experience. And the younger bank president said, but how do you get experience? And the old man said, it's easy, two words, wrong decisions. We live in a very strange world that really doesn't want to make a mistake. I mean, we, we parent as if we're heading our kid to Harvard. Uh, we stack their resume with um, opportunities outside of the classroom uh, so that they can be the next president of the United States. We, we spend the chauffeur years which is what I've heard some people refer to teenage years, chauffeuring our kids around so that they can get all that they need to get, so they can be all that the world thinks they should be, so that they can be perfect in every way. But see, perfection, God never calls for us to be perfect. What God calls for us to do is to be in the world, to practice, to spend time, to learn and to grow. I mean, imagine if we were to be perfect about everything, we would have to clean up before we take a bath. We would have to know that we were going to get an A on the test before we ever took it. We would have to be that kind of person who does nothing wrong, which I got to be honest with you, I trip those people just so that they can feel what it's like to fall over. Just kidding. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> but uh, so think about this uh, perfection idea. If we were to ask a musician, maybe somebody as talented as uh, Glenda Ransom is, when you practice, does it always sound as beautiful as it does in the sanctuary? And they would probably say, no, there are good days and bad days. If you asked a marathon runner, do you do a, a, an Olympic pace on every day of practice? And they would say, no, some days run faster, some days run slower. You could probably even notice, uh, you know, your preacher occasionally hits them out of the ballpark, but there's also some days where we just kind of ground out <laughs> at first. That not everybody, okay, I'm glad you didn't laugh. I'm not sure what that means, <laughs> but I'll take it. That the idea of practicing means that you have a place uh, to be good, to not be so good, to figure out what makes for good, and to figure out what are the mistakes that might bring about bad. Church should be an environment where practicing can happen. Uh, when you look at any kind of training regimen, it is starting from uh, poor understanding and moving to mastery. But sometimes we live life as if we have to master it before the test is given. 
Our scripture passage today is from Paul, and Paul talks about um, both a negative and a positive example uh, of the life of Christ. He talks about these words that stack together around anger, uh, malice, bitterness, resentment. He says, avoid those at all costs. And he says, clothe yourselves, right? I love it when Paul says clothe. He's got a melody and he wants you to hear it, right? Uh, put on the armor of Christ or clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness. Have you ever heard some of those before? If we added self-control and kindness, they might sound a whole lot like the fruits of the Spirit, which is also uh, one of Paul's uh, preaching patterns. Paul talks about these things that we should uh, add to our lives, not as if they are books that should be on the bookshelf or in our e-reader, but rather they should be things that we do, not just know about, that compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness and patience are, are not just good ideas, but they should be the things that we practice on a usual basis that the Christian community should live in an environment where people can do right and do wrong all around the idea of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And Paul's quick to tell you that the reason why we do these things isn't because they get us into Harvard, or isn't because they make us perfect, or it isn't because they uh, make people think good thoughts about us, but it's because Jesus died for us and loves us that we should do these things as well. That Jesus didn't take it upon himself to say, well, we weren't really wonderful people, and so why should Jesus have to die on the cross for us? But rather, God's love is so deep and so profound that Jesus didn't think twice about putting on our sin so that we might be able to enjoy the fruits of the Spirit, such as compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I also like, uh, especially where the pa passage uh, begins to talk about forgiveness. Um, forgive uh, in such a way. Why? Because the Lord has forgiven you. It's not just a step on the strategy map. It's not just another life mark. It's not just another thing that we add to our resume. But we forgive because Jesus has forgiven us. That we are called to live into our best because Jesus has offered his best to us. And all of this is motivated by love, right? Love which pulls harmony together, as Paul said. Love which is the ability to forbear and to forgive others because of what the Lord has done for us. Sometimes the church seems to be so absent of love these days. Remember that people don't come to church because we are, uh, surveys say, we are mean-spirited, hypocritical, and we don't like any of the social issues that everybody else do, does like. In fact, one uh, old um, uh, fussy um, um, commentary writer said that the only place that you can really know what love means is on a tennis court. That'll, that'll hit you in the parking lot, sorry. So I wonder, what do we do with these great words, this letter of advice that Paul has written to us about avoiding those things that cause anger and collecting those things that are part of the spiritual gifts and clothing ourselves with them and using them so that we might forgive others and be forgiven by others. You do know that um, not forgiving someone is like drinking poison, hoping that the other person will die that we hold on to these things and they hold us back from taking our next step in our faith journey with Christ. You know, that whole perfection idea, 
I wonder what it was like at, at your house this morning. Um, imagine a time maybe when you had kids who were uh, teenagers or maybe you were a teenager going to church with your parents. Uh, or imagine that future time when there will be uh, teenagers, grandchildren, who knows what, in your car as you're coming to church. I wonder, did you um, uh, address them uh, as they were getting out of bed uh, with words from the Psalms and Proverbs? Uh, did you say, uh, blessed are they who get up early and go to church without their authority figure yelling at them? Or did you go, come on, we're going to be late. You, you know that preacher, he goes long, we're never going to get to lunch. Get in the car, right? Did you find that every stoplight that you ended up hitting red as you headed to church only pulled forth from you more beautiful praises from the Psalms and the Gospels? Or did you find yourself speaking interesting words about the timing of all of the stoplights? And did you, as you pulled into the driveway of the church, all of a sudden, immediately, evidence all of the spiritual gifts, and then more that Paul didn't even know about, uh, as you parked the car and walked like a beautiful angelic family uh, into the church? It's very strange. I, I can remember sitting in the pews, and my parents were completely different than they were when we were outside the church. I mean, it was all of a sudden, uh, dear son, please sit still in the pew. I'm not so sure I ever heard dear son out of my dad, right? Imagine how we act differently when we sit in the pews because of an expectation that we're supposed to have it all together already. Uh, one of the things that Dr. Matthew Russell mentioned in our interview, which I was sad not to be able to, um, uh, to play for you, is he said that the church should be like a group of midwives who attend to the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ, encouraging them to move towards a place of forgiveness, almost as if chanting along with the birthing process of forgiveness, push push. I mean, think about what is that like to actually know the things that others are seeking forgiveness about and to know how other people have been wounded and to chant and to push and to encourage so that we all might lose those weights that hold us from taking our next step in our faith journey with Christ. Matthew said to me when we were talking that instead what the church offers, instead of midwives who chant push, we offer an epidural of happiness that numbs away the pain and says, don't worry about it. All can be forgotten. You don't have to ask for forgiveness, nor do you have to receive it. Think about the implications of living in a numbed world, a world that doesn't require anything from you or anything from those who have wronged you. Forgiveness is something that we have to practice. It's not something that we do well the minute that we do it, but church should be a place where forgiveness can be asked for and could be received. One person told me between the break uh, during the grow hour, that did you know that Babe Ruth had the highest uh, home run hitting average uh, uh, prior to anyone before, but he also had uh, a record-breaking high strikeout record as well. You, you see, before, people took the strategy at bat of just getting on base, 
And if you can get on base, well, then you'd work your way around and maybe score in the end. But Babe Ruth took the idea that if you don't take a risk to hit a home run, you also have to be willing to take the risk of striking out. That you can't hit a home run by just swinging at it to get a base shot. Forgiveness is one of those opportunities where we are willing to really wind back and really to live into our faith and to hit so hard that there is a great possibility that we might hit a home run. Because if we keep aiming for just the easy base hits, we may not take that next step in our faith journey with Christ. I like to think of it as a resurrection-sized risk. Uh, who of us are willing to take that resurrection-sized risk, that, that, that risk that may need Jesus to pull us back from death into life, but we took the risk so that the gospel might be advanced. We took the risk so that our children would know Jesus. We took the risk so that the church would have what it needs. We took the risk so that the world might be different because we came this way. I think that'd be a home run. But see, to do that, we have to give up the idea that perfection is required. We have to give up the idea that we're in charge or in control. We have to give up the idea that it all rides upon us. At some point, we have to say it rides upon God. And if God forgave us while we were dead in our sins, then maybe we could forgive others who find themselves in the same circumstance. I was reading about um, uh, a group that went on a, a silent retreat. It was a, a day-long, 12-hour silent retreat. You can imagine the odds and probability that I could handle that kind of experience. But some people are. And they stayed quiet the whole day. They even ate in silence. They had somebody reading from uh, the uh, Christian mystics while they were eating. And so, uh, having done 12 hours of silence, when they came back together for the next session of the workshop, uh, one of the women who was there said, I had such a great time on the retreat. But when I got home, I realized my kids needed help with homework. Some needed taking to the soccer practice. My husband needed me to take care of some things, and eventually I got busy, and by the end of the night, whatever calm serenity that I had gained through silent meditation was gone. I lost it. And the facilitator looked at her and said, how did you know you'd lost it? How did you know that it was gone? Was that in you that knew you had lost it lost itself. You ever think about that? Sometimes the world just kind of takes over and carries us off, and we know that where we are is not where we should be, but thanks be to God that where we are, we know that there's a place to go home, that we know that there are steps to head back, that we are not so lost that we never come back home. We are not so far gone that a little resurrection won't bring us to the right place. I love those words. Was that in you that knew you had lost it, lost itself? Sure, we become bitter. Sure, we become angry. Sure, we want to settle the score and win and lose and make sure that others feel the pain of the consequences of their choices. But even deep down inside, we wonder what would it be like if we could forgive and others could forgive us. If we don't risk the opportunity that a resurrection 
may not be able to come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Friends, Chapel Wood United Methodist Church exists to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. But you knew I was going to say that, right? Uh, pushing a little bit further, uh, this uh, series has been about uh, encouraging us to uh, grow beyond fear. Uh, what more uh, tender place than to grow beyond the fear of not being forgiven or to grow beyond the fear of having to ask for forgiveness. So I hope this week you'll be taking those steps, those next steps, that we might be growing beyond fear as a congregation. I'd like to invite you to have a seat, and as you do, Kate, uh, Pastor Kate's going to come up and share with us some announcements. I also wanted to share with you this wonderful uh, card uh, that came from um, Roberts uh, Elementary School, O.M. Roberts Elementary School. That's where all of our school supplies went. Uh, most of y'all know that Sarah Wright, uh, the principal there, is a member of our church, and uh, she had the kids uh, decorate a card for us, letting you know how thankful they were uh, to receive all of those school supplies. So thank you so much. Um, there are lots and lots of ways to take your next step beyond this place, but I'm going to lift up just a couple for you. Um, if you are interested in getting involved in Serve, there are two great opportunities this afternoon. Um, coming up in February, we are going to be sending a group to Sager Brown in Baldwin, Louisiana, and if none of those words mean anything to you, that's where the UMCOR, the United Methodist Committee on Relief, has a depot. Every time we put together flood buckets or lariat kits um, or seed packets, all of those go to UMCOR to wait to be sent to places that they are needed. And there's lots and lots of things to do around that depot, and we are sending a team for one week in February. If you're interested in being a part of that team, you can come and to a meeting this afternoon at 4 p.m. Today at 4, there's a meeting for that team that's going to UMCOR in February. Now, if, you, if you're not, like, ready to branch out or you can't get off work for a week in February because you work for a chocolate company, um, then you can come at 5, and we'll be doing a mission fair in November. There'll be a team putting together a whole community experience with a market and with games and with presentations from lots of people around our Lake Jackson community to help get not only our congregation, but all those in the community involved in serving others in this area. So at five o'clock, there's a team meeting to start putting together that mission fair. And I think now we're going to stand and continue with our closing hymn. Uh, Joyce Lynn's our Stephen minister this morning. She'll be up here on this right-hand side. If you have a need for prayer or a care concern that you'd like to pass confidentially to Joyce Lynn, she'll gladly take care of you and those needs. Um, and uh, now let's grab a hand for our closing benediction. Um, I, I should say, as you're holding hands, that uh, uh, we'd love for you to join the congregation um, and uh, Feel, uh, feel free to come up and talk to Pastor Kate, myself, or Pastor uh, Lisa Michelle about joining the church. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Almighty God, we give thanks uh, that in the, the world that we live in, uh, we can practice, practice forgiveness, hospitality, uh, courage, and trust. And so Lord, we trust you that that resurrection-sized risk that you're calling us to take is worthwhile and important, and that you'll walk with us uh, during that time 
so that we might know what it means to walk in community and to live in a world where forgiveness is real. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.